Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. This is our last podcast for the month of October which means our last conference-themed podcast. And on this edition, we're looking at the Big 12. We'll be joined later in the podcast by head coaches, Shaka Smart from Texas, Scott Drew from Baylor, Bruce Weber from Kansas State, Steve Prone from Iowa State, Devin Dotson, who's going to be one of the candidates for Big 12 Player of the Year, Fran Fischilla, longtime ESPN college basketball analyst who breaks down the Big 12. He'll be joining us. And then Chad Aycock from Turner Sports. We will discuss the locks, and the bubble in the Big 12. Look, this is a league that has been consistently elite for its entire career as the way it's constituted. So that's, you know, that, that's been a dominant theme when it comes to the Big 12. The headlines, though, going into the season, well, at number one, listen to this man. I do like our team. I think the pieces are there for us to have a big year. That was Kansas head coach Bill Self, the Hall of Famer. And Kansas had won 14 straight Big 12 championships. They could not get number 15 because K-State and Texas Tech were in the way. And also there were there were a lot of injuries. They didn't have Yudoka Azubuke for most of the season. So that had something to do with, you know, their uh, their inability to win a record 15th straight Big 12 title. What they accomplished, you know, is pretty remarkable. But they're now returning to the top. With Yudoka Azubuke, Sylvia D'Souza, there's no question that... They're the favorite with Devin Dotson on the perimeter. So 14 straight Big 12 titles. 10 were won outright. They couldn't get the 15. I think they get number 15 this season to make it 15 out of the last 16 years. But what does that mean about number two? Last year at Texas Tech, you know, to get over that hump, to win the Big 12 for the first time in school history make it to that national championship game. You know, I'm proud of the consistency we've shown in our first three years, and we look forward to, uh, you know, having another great season this year. That was Texas Tech head coach Chris Beard. The Red Raiders, they're staying around. They're not going anywhere. Our headline at number two is Texas Tech is staying. They're not moving anywhere. And all you have to do is look at last season. The year before, they get to the lead eight, lose four starters. The following season, they get to the national championship game. This year, uh, essentially lose four again, if you could argue, or maybe, you know, all their key players outside of Davide Moretti uh, and Kyler Edwards. Um, so basically, it's a, almost a whole new team besides those two, those two guys. And yet, Texas Tech is predicted to be a top three team yet again. 
They're not going anywhere. There is credibility now with Texas Tech. They're staying put. Whoever was going to be picked ninth or tenth, every coach would tell you they could finish first or second in the league. It's top to bottom, been the best league in the country. Our third headline going into the season is there are no bad teams. There are no bad teams. You just heard Baylor head coach Scott Drew say that. All 10 teams enter the season with the hope that they could end up being in the NCAA tournament. They're the only league that can say that. And we're going to talk to Fran Fischilla about that here coming up. And really all these coaches that are on the podcast, they will say the same thing. That all 10 have a feeling they can get in. And with the true round robin, it's going to be a bloodbath. I mean... No one's going through this unscathed. Whoever wins, it's going to have multiple losses without question. I'd be surprised if they didn't have at least four if they're going to win it. There are no bad teams in the Big 12. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, Fran Fischilla, my good friend, former colleague at ESPN. He covers the Big 12 and has for how long now? Oh, it's got to be 15 years. It's amazing to think about how much fun it's been. No one knows this conference better than you. So this is a Big 12-themed podcast here at Big 12 Media Day. Um, there are no bad teams. Right. And so when I initially did my poll, which I'm going to change, and I told Hugs this. You know, I had them at the bottom. You actually, on the phone, told me that was probably wrong, and that's fair. Yeah. So I'm going to move them up. But then I see K-State ninth. They're not ninth. Uh, what, what do you make of a league that has, that has no bottom? Last six or seven years, double-check this. I mean, when you look at the Ken Palm rankings, Big 12 has been one or two in the, uh, in the rankings among conferences. The reason, Andy, is there's only 10 teams. They play each other double round robin. Six of these teams have coaches that have been to a Final Four. Eight of the 10 have coaches that have coached in the Elite Eight. Um, the level of play is such that there are rarely any one and done, so there's so many really good three- and four-year guys and the competition speaks for itself. Top to bottom, it's as, it's as competitive a league as there is in college basketball every single year. So, I mean, we have to rank them in some order so everyone gets their feelings hurt. But at the same time, if you were to put teams at the bottom, and for these purposes they had K-State 9, yeah. TCU 10, don't you think that going into the season all 10 feel like they have a chance to be in the tournament? Yes, and I think what you have to do in a league like this, getting back to the – you know, a league that has produced four-year guys like Buddy Heald, like George Niang, like uh, Frank Mason, is look at who have who has veterans back. And when you look at TCU, while they have two really good players in Kevin Samuel and Desmond Bain, by the way, one of the most underrated players in college basketball, it's a very young team. Um, there are other young teams in this league. I think Iowa State is a relatively young team. Their best player is a sophomore, Tyrese Halliburton. So I would probably err on the side of putting the youth and inexperience toward the bottom of the league. And when you look at the top of the league, Kansas, a lot of guys back. Baylor, a lot of guys back. Texas Tech, maybe not a lot of guys back, but some key guys back. West Virginia, a lot of guys back. Uh, Oklahoma State, five starters back. That's kind of how I kind of handicapped this league this year because you're right, from 1 to 10, not a lot of difference. So let's let's discuss Texas Tech played for the national championship. Yeah. Somehow Chris Beard has elevated this program to where they're expected to be in the chase for the title even after losing so many. It's akin to what's happening in the ACC with Virginia where they lost a lot, but we just assume, hey, it's Virginia. They'll be in the top four, and yeah. it feels that same way about Texas Tech now suddenly in the Big 12. Well, there's history uh, because if you look at uh, last year's team, uh, they were coming off a year the year before where they lost to Villanova in the Elite Eight in Boston and gave Villanova a run for their money. 
and they lost four starters. This past team uh, that went to the championship game, final 15 seconds with a chance to win it before going to OT, four starters gone. But I got a chance to watch these guys in the Bahamas in August. Sure, Moretti and Kyle Edwards, very good players, but great play, great freshman in Jamias Ramsey, a couple more grad transfers and Chris Clark from Virginia Tech, TJ Holyfield from Stephen F. Austin. And they do have a common denominator in Chris Beard. Having been around this league a long time, Chris Beard's established himself already as one of the best coaches, not only in this league, but in college basketball. And I think that's the reason they're still consistently picked high. They have a lot of talent. It's just young talent. So talking to Bill Self about Kansas, great bigs, but they haven't played together for well over a year. Yudoka Azubuke and Sylvie D'Souza. As big as they are, his concern, even in the opener against a team like Duke, is how do they handle when other teams go small? So defensively, offensively, not as concerned. What do you see in Kansas as a big pro and a potential con? Well, I think the big pro is a lot of depth. And I think because of the depth at all spots, assuming everybody's healthy, is that they can play big and they can play small. I mean, they can go four guards easily, and yet they, they've got those monsters inside. And don't forget David McCormick, who came on gangbusters at the end of last year. The con is because they've added um, uh, a grad transfer, a couple of freshmen, some guys like Silvio D'Souza who didn't play last year, I I think the con is going to be chemistry early. Like, how do they get all these 13 guys together playing, you know, uh, Bill Self basketball? And I think early in the year, that's the con. But uh, this is one of the deepest teams he's had going back to 2008 when they won it all. All right, so there's three schools we haven't mentioned. Well, I mentioned, I said K-State. So I want you to first give me your pro-con on K-State, and then you got the two others, and I'll get to those in a second. Yeah, K-State um, lost some great seniors. They lost lots of points and experience in Wade, Brown, and Kamal Stokes. And uh, But what they've got back is three guys with a lot of starting experience, a very good recruiting class, and w- and winning DNA right now. I mean, Bruce Weber has done a magnificent job of creating a winning culture out there. Obviously, Hugs did it. Frank Martin did it. Bruce is doing it his own way. So, you know, three guys that have um, Elite Eight experience and, and a couple national, uh, well, at least one Big Ten, Big 12 title under their belt is pretty good. The school where I don't know where to put them is Oklahoma. I, I just don't, I mean, I guess I, 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 you know, they were the one school coming into media day. I, I just don't know where to put Oklahoma. What would you do with Oklahoma? Well, I, I'd put them in the middle of the pack and say that they're an NCAA tournament team. They got three really good uh, starters back. They've got a terrific transfer from Wichita State and in, in, uh, Austin Reeves, and they have one of the best high school point guards in America last year in, in, in Devion Harmon coming right up the road from Denton, Texas, about two and a half hours south. So, uh, no, I think they're, uh, you know, if you, I don't think it's a, um, it's not criminal to say they're middle of the pack when we're talking about a team that's likely going to be in the NCAA tournament. And the last one, and when you think Big 12, you usually think of them, and yet, yet again, who are they? What are they? Texas. Talented, and I think what gets them over the hump this year is they're not going to lose anybody early, uh, like they have the last three dra- uh, draft classes with Bamba and uh, Jackson Hayes and uh, Jared Allen. Uh, but their guard play is finally at a level where you could say they've got experience. The last three years, they've had a freshman point guard playing a lot of minutes, 
Um, and now those guys, particularly Matt Coleman and Courtney Ramey, are upperclassmen. They've got a great shooter in Chase Febris. There's a chance Andrew Jones returns to form after a very tough bout with leukemia. And uh, I think uh, I think their prospects are really bright in Austin because they've got some experience in the backcourt. All right. So if you agree with me on this, yeah. that when we get to February, we're going to have probably six schools. I'm just throwing out six maybe that are all going to be in that muddled group of could go either way on the field. I think we could get seven out of the Big 12 total, yeah. but I think – you know, maybe nine of the 10, kind of like a couple of years ago, if you remember when Iowa State was the only one that didn't get into the postseason, if I'm, if I'm correct on that. Yeah. So nine of the 10 went in the postseason a couple of years ago. I feel like it's going to be kind of the same thing, but I think like six are going to be like on that bubble in that last weekend. You know what the first, what is it, the first Tuesday in February is Groundhog Day? That's Big 12 basketball because come early February, you're going to have, honestly, probably eight or nine teams competing for an NCAA bid. And Joe Lenardi is going to probably have eight of them in the field at that point. And then what will naturally happen is somebody's going to get knocked out because of the double round robin and hit a losing skid down the stretch. Unfortunately, like TCU a year ago, even though they were really close. So, yeah, same old story. And I think um, no less than five and and potentially six, maybe seven NCAA bids. But part of the problem that with this league and what makes it so exciting is you play each other twice and uh, you knock each other off and someone's going to get knocked out. Unfortunately, it's going to be a really good team. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it. Hey, coming up on March Madness 365, before we get to our coach and player interviews, of course, it is time for Hashtag Cats Ranks. For this week's edition... Ranking the top 10 players in the Big 12. All right. We're going to start at number 10. Going with a freshman, highly touted, at West Virginia. Oscar Shibe. Shibe is going to have a major impact on the Mountaineers up front. He's going to be able to board. He'll be a rim protector. He's going to score a little. And he's going to help West Virginia have one of the best front courts in the conference. Number nine, Matt Coleman from Texas. Look for Coleman to be a consistent scoring presence for the Longhorns. You know, look, they've had great bigs for years, um, regardless of the head coach, from Rick Barnes to Shaka Smart. And they've had really good guards. But Coleman, I think, is just the next one to take that baton and elevate his game and be a big-time scorer distributor for the Longhorns. At number eight, Jemias Ramsey from Texas Tech had a good trip this summer to the Bahamas. Um, you know, so much has been made of, of Texas Tech losing a lot off of their national runner-up team. And they got a big-time recruit in, J- in Ramsey. He's going to score in bunches for them. When I talked to him in Big 12 Media Day, he's got just a, a presence about him, a maturity. So I feel... Really good about you know his ability to just to 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 light teams up. At number seven, Xavier Sneed from Kansas State. Wildcats getting a little bit maligned here, okay? Uh, from I think the Big Twelve in general, they were picked ninth, which I totally disagree with. But you know, I think Xavier Sneed is going to be an All Big Twelve type player. At number six. Desmond Bain from TCU. He's going to be the leader of the Longhorn, uh, the Horn Frogs. Excuse me, don't want to make that mistake. Leader of the Horn Frogs, but TCU is really young. 
And because of that, there's going to be a lot of responsibility on Bain, but it also means he's going to be able to score a ton. I think he's going to be by far the one to watch for the Horned Frogs. At number five, Derek Culver from West Virginia. Culver, much maligned a year ago, even though nationally, but in the Big 12, everyone knows about Culver. He's a stat stuffer. He's going to do a little bit of everything, and he's going to lead Bob Huggins' squad. At number four, and this may have a little controversy here because he could be Big 12 Player of the Year, but all four of these guys could be in the top four. I got Devin Dotson out of Kansas. Could he be the next one like Frank Mason and Devontae Graham and be a Big 12 Player of the Year candidate? Sure. But he's not going to have to do as much because he's got a great big inside. We'll get to that momentarily. At number three, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Really good summer for the Phoebe U19 team uh, for the U.S. And Steve Prohm is going to lean on him heavy, heavy to make an impact this season at Hilton and beyond for the Cyclones. At number two, Tristan Clark from Baylor. Got hurt. Season cut short in January. He's going to be a presence all year long for the Bears. And the reason that Baylor, along with Jared Butler, will have a chance to challenge Texas Tech and Kansas for the top spot. So, at number one, I've got Yudoka Azubuke from Kansas. Back after wrist injury, he could be the Big 12 Player of the Year. He was in the preseason. He could be an immovable force inside. Could be a double-double machine, rim protector, a little bit of everything for the Jayhawks. So, that's your top 10 in the Big 12, Cats ranks. And now coming up here on March Madness 365, Shaka Smart, the head coach from Texas. We're going to talk about some of the lack of consistency with the Longhorns. Shaka, where are you guys at right now and where you want to be with this program? Well, I think we ended the season with a lot of momentum. Our guys, um, we got a good group of guys coming back that we spent a ton of time in the spring just talking about how we were able to win our last five games, what went into that. And the guys have been terrific in the offseason, building on that momentum, working hard. Obviously, this next year uh, is a big one for us, just just to take another step as a program in the Big 12. This league is terrific. Uh, We want to be competing to win the Big 12 championship. And we have a group that is a little bit older than we've been the last few years. We don't have any seniors, but we do have quite a few guys with good experience, and we're excited to see what we can do. You know, when you were at VCU, you were able to get old and stay old. How hard is that to do at Texas? It's definitely more challenging at Texas uh, just because I think the the sweet spot of being a good player in college but not being so good that, you know, you think of yourself as someone that should go to the next level is definitely much smaller at a Texas than maybe at, at different levels. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. And we actually have a core group of sophomores and juniors that I think will be around for quite a while. And so we're on our way to getting older, but it it never happens as fast as you want it to. I remember I was with you guys early in the season last year and you, you showed flashes. What prevented the consistency to where, you know, you could get ahead of yourself to where you didn't have to rely on sort of the last couple of games to see whether or not you were going to get in or not? Well, I think consistency is definitely the word. Uh, You know, for us, we've talked a lot this offseason just about raising the standard of who we want to be, regardless of who the opponent is. I think last year at times we were up and down 
based on who we were playing. And you never want to play that way. You never want to coach that way. Um, sometimes that can be a mark of immaturity, um, but that's definitely an area where we need to grow. So you say you spent a lot of time. I mean, are these sessions one-on-one? Are they team meetings? What, what was going on in the spring where you're having all these sort of think tank kind of conversations? All of the above. Yes. I mean, it's in coaching, it's a combination of what you do as a team, uh, what you try to get your players to do without the coaches, uh, because those are powerful sessions, uh, what you're doing in conversation with small groups or even individual guys, because all those things go into moving forward culturally uh, and giving guys an understanding of, hey, if we want to do what we're setting out to do, this is the only way. Andrew Jones has had a remarkable comeback from cancer. He's still in the process. Where, where is he right now in his recovery? Well, he is leukemia free, which is the most important thing. Uh, he's made major strides. Uh, he's been in school, which is awesome, working towards his degree. He practiced with us pretty much all year last year, but did not play. This year he's going to play. It's exciting. Uh, he's not all the way back to a thousand percent of the strength and, and, and stamina that he had. But man, he's made major strides. He's playing well in practice and someone that's going to be a guy that can make a real impact on our team. How has that impacted the rest of your players? Guys are happy to have him back. Uh, you know, Andrew was a terrific player before he was diagnosed, and uh, he, the guys have a ton of respect for what he can do, uh, particularly scoring the basketball, which is as important as anything. So it's had a really good impact. If this team is going to reach its potential, what's that going to look like in February or March? Well, it starts with our guards, you know, just our perimeter players uh, winning their matchup. And, you know, we have Matt Coleman and Courtney Ramey at the point spot. It's nice to have two returning point guards that are not freshmen. Those guys are going to have to win the battle of the backcourt. And I think if we're able to do that, we can win a lot of games. Look, I was talking to a lot of the other coaches here at Big 12 Media Day. Um, Everyone gets sort of worked up if you're picked ninth or 10th or wherever. But the reality is, and we all have to play this game of making the picks, Mm -hmm. all 10 teams could be in the tournament. I mean, I'm not saying all 10 will, Mm -hmm. but – I don't know if there's another league where all 10 feel like they have a chance. Um, a, how much do you agree with that? And B, what, what, is that, what does that make for a challenge of coaching in a league where literally there are no bad teams? Yeah, it's a unique league, Andy, from the standpoint of the quote-unquote bottom. There really, really isn't one. You know, I, I think what you do is in November and December, you're really rooting for the other teams because that's what creates the the terrific numbers in your league. And then once you start league play, I believe it's January 4th, everyone's going to beat up on each other. And you're just trying at that point to make sure that you're playing your best basketball and understanding that probably no one's going to run the table. Um, There's going to be some ups and downs. Everyone's going to go through a tough stretch. But if you can continue to get better over the course of January and February and early March, put yourself in a good position. Thanks, Shaka. Thank you, Andy. All right, now joining me here on March Madness 365, Baylor head coach Scott Drew. I've known Scott for a long time, and he's complimenting me. Well, first of all, it's not Cat's Corner anymore. It's Cat's Love. And uh, uh, you're about the only guy that gets younger looking each and every year. So uh, I don't know what you're doing. Keep doing it. Maybe it's in uh, half marathons. Maybe it's uh, 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 the great diet. Um, but one thing that's always the same about you, and you do a great job at what you do. So thank you. Well, thank you. You have a wonderful family, extended family, your immediate family, 
a family you grew up in. Uh, I have to ask you, how, how, how are your parents? I love your parents. Well, uh, that you, you were one of the adopted, uh, uh, kids in the family. So we send you, uh, uh, I'm the third brother. Yeah. Third brother and a most successful one. So we're proud of you. Uh, um, but not financially though. <laughs> well, you know, my dad actually is going into the college hall of fame this year. So with, uh, Oodles and Rick Majerus, November 24th. So really excited about that. My brother's, uh, going to be able to be there and, uh, uh, he's actually doing, uh, the games on TV and then, uh, we'll be part of the family reunion and get a chance to see that. So let's talk about Baylor. Tristan Clark, had he played last season, you guys would have been even better. You still had a pretty good year. Uh, what's his health status? Well, he's... Uh, and I say when I say played, I meant played the latter part of the Big 12 because he was uh, done in January. And he's somebody, for those that don't know, he led the nation in field goal percentage uh, when he went out with his injury and spent the next six months rehabbing. Uh, he's been back playing probably uh, from anyone that uh, has seen players recover from serious injuries like that. Uh, usually takes closer to a year to get them back where they were playing. So I would expect second half of the year he should be like the Tristan Clark of old in the beginning uh he's still getting rust off and still getting his timing and still getting used to uh back on the court playing Mario Kegler no more not a part of the program but you found that early enough so you've been able to adjust someone like Jared Butler who had an outstanding season last season what are the chances he could break through even more with more opportunity. Well, I think uh, uh, next man up mentality is always uh, important and to have depth so you can have someone step up. Uh, and that's partly why people have picked us to have, be successful this year is for our, for our depth. Uh, Mario, somebody scored uh, 20 or more, three Big 12 games, averaged 10 and 6, was a fourth-year guy. So that's a hole to fill, but it happened early enough where uh, you can uh, make changes and adjustments and uh, prepare for it. So, uh, again, with Tristan, as he continues to come along, and then we do, did have two other players that had surgeries. Uh, uh, Matthew Meyer had hip surgery, and uh, Freddie Gillespie uh, had shoulder surgery. So both of those guys missing six months all also, they're going to take a little time. So uh, I do truly feel that our team, we play a very challenging schedule early on. And I know you like that. You like quality games throughout the year. So we aim to please. But at the same time, I think we'll be better come later half of the year where those guys get back and all the rust is off. You know, you're talking about me not aging. You don't have any gray. And, and somehow you're able to be very calm during all these things that have gone on, and yet you remain remarkably consistent. Baylor is always in the mix. Well, one, one of our uh, proudest feats is that there's only been six Power Five schools that have been able to win 18 or more in the last 12 years, and we're one of those. So, uh, uh, Consistency is hard nowadays, you know, with the the one and dones, with the transfer rate, grad transfers, and everything. And we've been blessed to year in and year out be able to be successful because of the, the team first mentality and the players we've been able to have. And it's awful nice of you to say that I haven't aged and I'm not gray. You you did leave out that I am bald, but <laughs> just fading a little just bit. Fading a little bit. <laughs> Scott, always great to see you. Great seeing you. Thanks again. All right. So you heard me earlier rank. Devin Dotson in that four spot in the Big 12. Well, Dotson knows he's got a legit shot to potentially be Big 12 Player of the Year. You now have a, a team where you've got newcomers that have come on the perimeter to add depth there. You've got Udoka and Silvio back inside. It feels like all the pieces are in place for this to be a title run type team. You're on the ground. You're there at practice. What are you seeing? I'm seeing, you know, a group of competitors who, um, you know, love to get after it. 
uh, each day in practice, I mean, it's, it's competitive, and um, uh, we're working hard each and every day, and um, you know, getting better. And I feel like we're hungry, and we're ready to work. The guys up front that I just mentioned, uh, they didn't play together last season. Yudoka was hurt for most of the season. Sylvia was not eligible. What have you seen in terms of their chemistry and their ability to really dominate that potential front court there? Right. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're lengthy, uh, long, and can get after it on the board. So, um, you know, they have size down there, and um, they can cause havoc, whether that's blocking shots, um, yeah, like I said, rebounding. So, I mean, they're starting to, you know, getting a better feel for each other down there. And, uh, you know, it should be exciting. We talked in the offseason. There's been a long line of guards at Kansas who were not as highly touted and have come out and been either Big 12 Player of the Year or National Player of the Year. Thinking of Mason, Devontae. I mean, you don't have to go that far back. You know, guys like Sharon Collins. I mean, we could go further back to that 08 team. In what way do you think you have a chance to follow that legacy? I guess you can you you can say you know I can, but like my main goal is uh, you know the team trying to win and whatever whatever I do on the court, if it translates to winning, I'm happy. So um, each and every night, my main goal is to win, and if that's if that's the case where I have to you know score one night, score a lot one night, uh, you know assist one night, play defense um, more. I'm willing to do that to help the team, so um, we're excited. Why are you prepared, though, to handle those kind of responsibilities now? Just more maturity. Second time around, uh, it's more comfortable, a lot more confidence um, to this year. And, um, you know, it's basically my my team, and i, I got to run a show. So um, just more confidence, and I'm ready to get things going. Last year was a blip in that Kansas didn't win the Big 12. Mm-hmm went to shared title between Texas Tech and Kansas State. How much, even though I know that's not the ultimate goal, but how much is that sort of discussed to get back to being the Big 12 champs? I mean, it's not discussed often, but, you know, each player that was on the team last year, they have it, you know, in the back of their mind. And, you know, what we we came short of last year, that's not something that we don't want to repeat this year. And, um, yeah, we know uh, what, what we didn't do, so we're... You know, looking to, you know, approach every game, come out and play uh, as hard as we can, and, and, yeah, try to get back on top. Newcomers, especially on the perimeter. Isaiah Moss, Wilson, who's going to go to Michigan now, he's at Kansas. Uh, what kind of impact do you think they'll have? Um, he's great. Isaiah really can shoot it. I can stretch the floor. So uh, teams can, uh, you know, pack the lane. Um, so driving dish, he can really uh, kick it in the maturity. Um, he's a senior, so he's been through, you know, a lot of games over his years. So maturity. Uh, Tristan, he's long. He's about 6'8", the wing. He can shoot it. He's versatile. He can play the four through two. And um, Jalen Wilson, um, also a guy from Texas, uh, he can shoot it 6'7", versatile. He can play the four sometimes. So, you know, we have some great young pieces um, that can, you know, impact the game at any given moment and uh we're excited all right lastly the opener take it on duke uh last year it was sort of the the way the country got to know zion williamson rj barrett the way they you know crushed kentucky that night it's always a hyped up night what are you anticipating and hoping that will happen on the night that tips off college basketball kansas duke Mm -hmm. Uh, we're looking to come out on top uh you know our main goal every night is is to try to get that win and, you know, but what's it like to play an event like that to tip off the season? 
Um, it's a it's a great event. Um, you know, when I remember playing it last year. Uh, it was my first game, like real college game. So you know, there was nerves there, and you know, you know, watching that series as a kid. So and actually playing in that last year, you know, there was some nerves there, but um, it's a great great event, and you know. Thankful to be playing in it, so um, it should be fun. All right, we'll see you in New York. Thank you. I'll see you then. I don't understand how K-State could have been picked ninth. So let's ask Bruce Weber, the head coach of Kansas State. Bruce, I had you guys as a team that's definitely going to be in the tournament, upper half. Poll comes out, you're at the bottom. Now, all 10 teams, I think, have a chance to be in the tournament. You don't see that in many leagues. Uh, so when you see ninth, uh, it still sticks out. What's the motivation there? Well, it's a little disappointing, and and especially that we had an elite rate run. We won the Big Twelve last year, and then we have experience back. We have three guys that not they started. They were major parts of the Elite Eight run and the Big Twelve championship. But we are new, and there's a lot of question marks. But it also shows you how tough the Big Twelve is and the depth of it. Six out of the last seven years, number one RPI. The one year we weren't, we were two. You know, you had. Two years ago, obviously, what, four in the Sweet 16, three in the Elite Eight. It's amazing. It makes our league special. Ten teams, as you talked about, all of them have a chance. Double round robin, all the things that make Big 12 basketball special. When you were at Illinois, I felt like that was the same thing, where there was an expectation that Illinois would always be, you know, one of the contenders. Texas Tech gets to the national championship game, and even though they've got a lot of new guys, they're sort of expected now to, to be up there. Same with Virginia. How hard is it to do that, like at Kansas State, to make it to the point where everyone expects, even if you have a turn turnover, that you will be near the top? Well, you have to do it year after year, and you got to, you know, you got to have the year where you overachieve. And I and I think this year would be, we probably have to overachieve a little bit. We have some experience back, but we have a new team. We got some young guys, but hopefully they. We talk about championship DNA. We talk about our culture of effort. If those things are there, we always feel we have a chance to get in the tournament. Dean Wade was never fully healthy the last couple of years, and yet you guys still want to share the Big 12, got to the Elite Eight. What did that tell you about the rest of your group? Well, and that's what I think people don't consider, the toughness, the how guys stepped up. Dean Wade's on an NBA roster now, and he really should have been a first-round pick. He's that good. I've coached first-round picks. I know he's good enough. And and then you throw in Cam Stokes. He missed a year of his career, and he was in and out. And you know, when he was healthy, he was really good. So those other guys kept stepping up. And, you know, even the Elite Eight run, you know, Dean didn't play. You know, he played, what, four or five minutes against Kentucky. The rest of the time he didn't play, it was Xavier Sneed, it was Cartier Jara, it was McCall Moline. So, you know, these guys are back. Hopefully the the motivation's there for them. I, I told them I'm mad, but it doesn't matter what I, if I'm mad, it's if they're mad and what they're going to do with about it and make sure that we are in the tournament at the end. I had the pleasure of being in that locker room when you knocked off Kentucky. Now, not two years, but a year and a half later, how much shelf life still does that win have for the Kansas State fan base, the the longtime alums, the older players? How much you sort of still milking off of that great win? Well, there's no doubt. It's it, it was important. And, and I don't know if you know, Kansas State was 0-9, 0-10, and they had not beat them. And if you go back to the old guys, Ernie Barrett and and back you know, with Tex Winter as the coach, uh, they lost to him in the Final Four, and that, and that stuck with them. And, and Ernie was hurt at that time. He always says if he was healthy, they would have beat you know Kentucky and maybe won the national championship. So those fans, those older players, they still appreciate it's been great 
But, you know, we can't worry about that. We have to worry about beating North Dakota State in a couple of weeks and, and, and starting the season and then getting better as a team, and that's important. But it, it was a, definitely one of those special moments. And when you walk around Bramlage, there is definitely a huge picture of that celebration. Appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone loves to talk about Fog Allen as having the best home court, not just in the Big 12, but maybe one of the best in the country. Well, the other one is at Iowa State. Here's Steve Prohm, the head coach. Steve, I was talking to Tyrese Halliburton. Expanded role for him. No Mario Shayok. Uh, what have you seen with this group in terms of who else can fill that scoring void? Well, hopefully Bolton. Uh, getting him eligible from Penn State. Ross here, Bolton. It will help a lot. Hopefully Prentice Nixon, you know, can help some as well. And then I think our front court, when you look at Mike Jacobson, Solomon Young, George Conant, and even Zion Griffin's had a really good fall. You know, those are probably our top seven. And then we've got a couple freshmen that can make shots. But Halliburton's role's changing. Uh, my biggest thing with him is don't change who you are and what got you here, and that's his spirit. I get the sense like Iowa State's going to be in the mix. We just don't know where. Do you have that same feeling that you have a good feeling that you're going to be pretty good, just don't know how good yet? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing with us is just at the end of the day, who are we going to be? You know, offensively, you know, I thought last year we were a lead, and there's a certain way we like to play at Iowa State. It's more about what adjustments early do we need to make to make the offense fit for these guys that we have right now because our four spot, our personnel is a little bit different than it's been in the past. And, and guys are going to new roles. Halliburton played off the ball majority last year. This year he'll be on the ball a lot. Uh, but defensively we're making strides, and we've got a great schedule non-conference. We've got a lot of great opportunities to get some resume wins. You know, I, I got some flack from Hugs when I picked them low initially, but I said it in the context of no one is out of it. All 10, I think, enter the season feeling they have a chance. I don't know if there's another league like that. You know, K-State's picked ninth. They're not the ninth. They're not a ninth-place team, but it's in a league where you could, if these teams were moved out to different places, you could say all 10 could be tournament. What's that like to be in a league where everyone legitimately has a shot and there's really no bottom? Yeah, I think I don't think there is a bottom, and I think that's you know that's why it's a league that should get seven or eight teams consistently in NCAA tournament because we play everybody round robin, we play home and home. We've been the best league in the country, and when you look at all the numbers the last six or seven years, whether it's the NET, whether it's Ken Palm, um, we've got an elite, you know. From, I think, six coaches, six or seven that have been to the Final Four, eight to the lead eight, nine to the Sweet 16. Uh, we've got a tremendous, tremendous uh, coaching uh, league, but we also got really, really good players, great venues. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is there is no bottom. And, you know, it's really, you know, it's up for grabs, and you got to take care of home. I think that's the biggest thing. You say great venues. You could argue that two of the best are in this league at Fog Allen and Hilton. You coach in one, you play and coach in another. How would you compare the two? Oh, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, we seat 14,300, and they seat a little bit more in 16,000, so they average more attendance. But outside of that, I think you're looking at two of the probably top five or ten places to play college basketball. Our fans will you to win. Um, you know, it can be deafening the noise in, in Fog Allen. We were fortunate a couple of years ago to go in there and beat and knock them off and, um, you know, in their home winning streak with Monte and Deontay Burton and Naz and Matt Thomas and those guys. But, uh, both of them are elite venues with passionate, passionate fan bases. Appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. And coming up next on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports joins me as we'll break down the Big 12 locks, bubble, 
and whether or not any team is out of the mix. And now here on March Madness 365, Chad A. from Turner Sports. And Chad and I will discuss the Big 12, the theme of this podcast, where some teams will be in March. And Chad, to start us off, uh, I basically have no bad teams, as I said at the top of the podcast. So pretty much everyone should feel they are in play. You can hit me with the locks. You can hit me with the bubble. I don't really feel as comfortable saying someone's out of the mix. If I had to pick one, I could. But this is the only conference in America where I can say unequivocally, every one of the teams, all 10, enter the season feeling they have a chance to get in the NCAA tournament. Well, Andy, I think that's a fair statement, but unfortunately, one of the coaches in the Big 12 did not think that was a fair statement. Back in September, as you know, Andy, we put out your top 10 uh, teams in the Big 12, 1 to 10, and you had West Virginia last. Somebody has to be last. Uh, and we saw on social, Bob Huggins, uh, he was not a big fan of your your opinion. He quote tweeted and said, Andy, you are paid to be an expert? Yikes. Hashtag overpaid. Hashtag we shall see. Andy, what's your rebuttal to Huggins' comments? Well, I, as you know, because we posted it on our uh, social platform, I did interview Bob Huggins at the Big 12 Media Day. And uh, tongue-in-cheek, uh, he gave me some flack, threw a JFK quote at me that you were, you know, that you posted as well. Look, when I originally did that, you know, I was concerned about their guard play. And I figured, okay, someone has to be last. By the way, they finished at the bottom last year, which was totally an anomaly for a West Virginia team. If you remember, uh, what was it? Sometime last month, we did a a whole list of teams that uh, I said I'm going to be wrong on. And West Virginia was on that list. So I am telling you right now, I was wrong. And now I'm moving them up. So in our conversation now, I am moving them up. And I am putting them in the category of not lock, but strong bubble, uh, however we want to say it, that uh, a team that's going to be totally in the mix to potentially get a bid. Okay, so you've got them on the right side of the bubble for now. But before we get to the rest of your bubble teams, let's go ahead and start with those locks in the Big 12, Andy. What do you got? All right, so I've got three locks. Here in late October, I feel unequivocally Kansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor will be in the NCAA tournament. I don't think I'm breaking, you know, a massive news story here by saying that, but I would say those three unequivocally will be in. So you have them finishing in that order? Uh, At this juncture, yes. I've got Kansas 1, Texas Tech 2, Baylor 3. I think I agree with you. We saw the media pick Baylor number 2. I was a little surprised by that, especially with the news of of Baylor losing Mario Kegler. I do have Texas Tech 2. It's funny, Andy. we We saw Texas Tech... Two years ago, or I guess last year, they lost five of their six scores from that Elite Eight team, and then they made the national championship game. And then this year, they're losing four of their starters from that from that team, and we're still kind of expecting them to finish, what, top two in the league? Like, it's just so impressive what Chris Beard's done with them, so nothing will surprise me there. Uh, I agree with your locks, uh, but Andy, let's jump right into your bubble discussion. How big of a bubble do you really have the Big 12 standing? All right, well, maybe this is cruel, But if I'm going to take one out, I would take out TCU at the bottom. So that would put at least six in the bubble. And I would have Iowa State, West Virginia, and K-State sort of the top of that grouping. And then the bottom part of that grouping, I would have Texas, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. Um, 
someone's got to be ninth in that grouping. I totally disagree. And this is to the point of also the Texas Tech comparison of how we now just give them more credit because of what they've done the last two seasons. You know, K-State was picked ninth. And as you heard earlier in the podcast, my conversation with Bruce Weber, um, he was kind of surprised by that because how are they not getting a little bit of a pass for losing some players? You know, two seasons ago, they were in the Elite Eight. And it seems like people forgot about that with K-State. So uh, I'm higher on K-State than clearly the predictions that came out of the Big 12 because they were picked ninth, uh, just like earlier in the offseason when I had West Virginia in that grouping. And clearly that was um, looked down upon. The reason TCU is in that other group is they're just really young. They've got one of the better players in the league in Desmond Bain, but they're really, really young and youth. In the Big 12, something we discussed with Fran Fischilla, uh earlier on here, uh, it's hard to overcome because it's such a, a veteran, older league. And that's why now, when it, once I think about it again a little bit more after going to Big 12 Media Day, that's why I would have T- TCU in that 10th spot. Yeah, I agree with you. TCU does feel like the odd team out of this group. It does seem like between four and nine, they could finish in any order. It really wouldn't surprise me at all. But I'm surprised you're a little bit down on Texas, Andy. It seems like uh, the media picked Texas to finish fourth, but you're a lot lower on them. Why are you not as optimistic on the Longhorns? Well, Texas has been a bit of an enigma in the Big 12. Um, I'll be honest, I got to see it. You know, um, we talked to Shaka Smart here on the podcast about, you know, their inconsistencies. And I'm just being a little, I mean, I'm I'm just holding off a little here because I just want to make sure that they can find consistency. I saw them, if you remember, last Thanksgiving at a tournament in Las Vegas, and they had some great moments in that two-day tournament. Um, But it was sort of a microcosm because they looked really good one day, not so good the next day. And that was sort of the trend of Texas throughout the course of the season. So that's why I'm a little reluctant to go all in on them. Uh, The West Virginia front court has me higher on them. The fact that Iowa State is healthy, and Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is going to have a breakout year. Uh, And also, I think they have the best home court in the Big 12, not named Fog Allen. So, you know, Iowa State's just not going to get beat at home this season. It's rare that they do get beat at Hilton. So that's why I've got them, you know, higher up in that that group. The two Oklahomas, they're the two teams I'm uh, having a hard time figuring out. Oklahoma State's got everyone back, but it's everyone back from not an NCAA tournament team. So are they better? Are they the same, just older? And Oklahoma, um, I think they're just the hardest team to figure out. How good are the guards? Can Brady Manic, you know, take that next step and be much more of a go-to guy rather than, you know, a second or third option? So they're, you know, Lon Kruger always does a solid job, but I just I just don't know where to put the two Oklahomas. Yeah, I totally agree with the points you made on West Virginia as they finish strong uh, with wins over Oklahoma and Texas Tech in that Big 12 tournament. Same thing with Iowa State. Halliburton, Andy, he finished second in the country in assist-to-turnover ratio, so he's going to be the one uh, running that squad. And it's it's so comfortable uh, when you can have a guy like that you know won't just be giving possessions away. Uh, but, Andy, the Oklahoma State, I didn't really like how you passed over this experience note. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, they're bringing everyone back, spe- specifically all five starters. Uh, Andy, when you're going through practice in October and you don't have to reteach offense, you don't have to reteach sets, and you don't have to correct freshman mistakes, uh, I think that is just so valuable, especially when of these starters back, three of them 
uh, our key seniors uh, from last year's team. I know they, like you said, didn't perform as well last year, uh, but I think you can build off something uh, in year three of Mike Boynton. Andy, that's my pick as kind of a dark horse from the Big 12, Oklahoma State. Who would be your dark horse pick? Well, I'm going to agree with you, uh, if that's okay, because they're in that grouping. You know, I see warts on Texas. You know, I, I don't think the top three I mentioned, Iowa State, West Virginia, or K-State, would be dark horses. But Oklahoma State feels like that. They're a team that, as you said, everyone's back. Sometimes everyone back from a sort of an average team, you know, means you're going to be average again, just older. But that may not be the case with Oklahoma State. In talking to Mike Boyton, he feels really good about his group, which a lot of people do at this time of the year. You know, they've had some good wins. It's been getting the consistency together. Remember, they've had success against Kansas. This is a school that, you know, it needs to make its mark in the non-conference, I think, for us to feel like we can be all in on them. And they're going to have opportunities. And so if they can get that done early and go into the Big 12 with some momentum, then they certainly could be one of those schools that rises up is maybe not even on the bubble. Maybe they'll feel more comfortable come February. But I think we're going to be talking about Oklahoma State as one of those schools that's going to be vying for one of the last, you know, sort of six to eight spots as we're going through our brackets in February. No doubt, Andy. And this wraps up our Big 12 preview and our final conference preview. We're a week away from the Champions Classic. Uh, We'll both be on site in New York City. Andy, I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. And next week's podcast, Chad, uh, we're going to have all four head coaches, Duke's Mike Krzyzewski, Kentucky's John Calipari, Michigan State's Tom Izzo, Kansas's Bill Self, that's four Hall of Famers, all on this podcast, March Madness 365. Other podcasts, you got about a week. I challenge you, see if you can get all four on one podcast. I don't know many others. They'll be able to do that. You'll be able to hear all four head coaches talking about their teams in advance of the season tip-off at the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden on November 5th. And by the way, it's the top four teams in the AP poll. It's the top four teams in my Power 36. It doesn't get much better than that to tip off the season with those kind of headline teams. And we've got big-time players on all four squads. So that's next week. Podcast will revolve around the Champions Classic and tipping off the season. Great way to start the year. As you said, this ends our conference previews in the month of October. And next week, we've got games. So the headlines in the following week after that will be actually on the game action. Uh, And that'll continue, obviously, all the way through the NCAA tournament. All right, so that wraps up this edition of March Madness 365. For Chad, I'm Andy Katz. As always, we can you can find this podcast wherever you download your podcast and snippets and the full version all over our social media platforms on Twitter and Facebook, March Madness, NCAA.com. Thanks for listening.